Excuse me. You have one of the largest auras I've ever seen. Green and black. It's been taking up this whole room. And I just, I had to say something. You must have had hundreds of lives. Well, I don't think I can handle another one. Welcome to True Detective Weekly on the Idle Thumbs Network. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. This week, we're discussing the fourth episode of season two of True Detective, Down Will Come. Yes, this episode was directed by Jeremy Podeswa, who has directed a bunch of TV, including most recently a couple episodes of Game of Thrones season five. And it is directed, excuse me, it is written by Nick Pizzolatto and notably co-written by Scott Lasser, which I guess is the first time that there's been a credited non-Nick uh, Pazzolato writer yeah. on True Detective. It sounds like it sounds like uh, Scott Lasser is also a novelist, you know, a- as is Nick Pizzolatto by trade, I suppose, um, who was a friend of Pizzolatto's who he sort of brought in to help him um, kind of break some story, uh, sort of figure out some story issues in the second half, the of, the second half of the season. Yeah, yeah. So, um, also real quick before we get any further, so, sorry, we're late this week. Uh, we're, we're almost halfway to the next episode of true detective. Uh, we just ran into some real scheduling problems and that's why Sean is not here. We're just trying to get this thing out. Finally. Um, sorry about that. Hopefully we'll be better about this next week. Yes. So now let's talk about this week's episode yes. of true detective, man. So we haven't talked about this episode yet, so I don't know how you feel about it, but I have a guess. Um, for, for myself, I was really enjoying this episode, actually, until the climactic shootout, which... Do you want to just start with the end of this episode, since you immediately brought it up? Yeah, well, real quick, what, what, were, what was your overall kind of reaction? It's, I guess, pretty similar. That end, the end of this episode was such a low point that it kind of turned me off to a lot of this episode but this episode just more than any other episode that has come before it including the rest of this season this episode felt to me like true detective as television show yeah up I until the end agree yeah up until the end where it felt like true detective as xbox game right <laughs> yes i i agree and like neither yes. of those things are remotely favorable when talking about this show in my opinion because yeah. I, I i mean I, we're doing this podcast because it is a tv show that did, mm-hmm. does not feel like other tv shows but this episode i i agree and and i'll i'll say that i actually didn't this was the episode in which i became very conscious of like oh wow this is just a tv tv show um i definitely agree with you i really felt that way watching the bulk of the episode although it didn't really bother me i mean you're right that the reason we're doing a podcast about it is because we found something very unique and and not wrote in the the first season but just taking this season on its own merits i don't really mind that it's more of a conventional television show man i don't even know if i agree with that because i think it's fine i I think even within even within like i'm worried that we are just continuously going to be excusing this season for all of its faults in ways that are like, I feel like we're the things that we've said and not said about, Mm -hmm. about season two are on a decline over the course of the season in a way that (laughs) is kind of bumming me out because we've said, well, it's very much not in the mold of the first season, but it seems like maybe they're going for a sort of like deliberate crime noir thing. Maybe it's sort of Mm -hmm. evocative of Raymond Chandler or, Mm -hmm. or going so far as to actually like say 
like Thomas Pynchon. And now we're like, well, maybe what it's trying to be is just any old TV show that's a crime <laughs> procedural. And like, yeah, that's like a slippery slope. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't go that far personally this episode felt the most like it could it, just be any yeah. like this three-parter of a of a procedural tv show mainly because so much was covering similar ground to that of previous episodes mm-hmm. which make which is how you know crime television shows work it's like there's kind of a formula and this yep. definitely felt like okay i understand the formula of true detective season two um and and that, and that's a bit of a bummer um but the but i for whatever reason, I was still totally happy to to follow along with that until I, I my suspension of disbelief just kind of snapped at the end, which, as you say, was almost video game like in how kind of just re- everything felt so disposable in part because it ended so tidily with the exact three like the true detectives still standing at the end and everyone else just like headshotted or, you know, exploded in a building or just or ambiently mowed, mowed down, down right. while people sort of were barking video game enemy lines at yeah, each other. It like just, it just was not, um, it felt very cheap. And, and, and it's funny to me because season, uh, I'm sorry, episode four of season one also had a long action set piece that I personally was my low point of that season. Yeah, but it was although, cinematically incredibly I know, notable. I know, it's and true. if you remember, like that was the, that was another thing that I was thinking about when I was like, "Wow, we just we hit the halfway point, and it was a big action scene." Huh? We hit the halfway point. And it was a big action scene in season one, but the amount of investment that I had in that story, and sort of the amount that I felt mired in sort of the tone and the world, mm-hmm. and like just. Even the amount that I knew about the plot and sort of what theories I had about where it was going and how much I cared about those things were so much more present. Whereas this, it feels like we haven't even gotten started yet with sort of where season two is going. And yet we're like, just, I don't know. It, yeah. I don't mean that. I don't mean to make a direct no, comparison to season one no, and I say it's, it's better or worse, but just mm-hmm. like. It, I think that's right. I feel a little bit differently about that simply because, um, I, I'm pretty on board with the general plot and and sort of motivation of this season in a in a similar way that I think I was in season one. It definitely is not as rich or like as richly kind of painted as it was in season one. That's a big difference. But I, but I'm I'm I was I've been pretty bought in I think by this point just for me personally. Um, but this was the episode that really made made me feel the lack of the strong consistent director more than ever before because when i when i think back you know what you said as you said the the big action and and after after this maybe we probably should with stop with the season one comparisons because it it gets a little repetitive but i you know i do want to say that as you pointed out the the big action set piece in season one of, of episode four of season one um was like very cinematically uh impressive and and really I mean, you know, it was sort of the bravura, big one single shot thing that's, you know, very fashionable in, in ambitious kind of cinema these days. And, and, um, and it was, and forever in cinema, like, well, I know, but, but, but there's a, but there's a, a cold war of like, you know, since children of men, I feel like, I guess you go back to Goodfellas and there's a similar thing. Um, older one shots from like, older Hollywood mm-hmm. are much less about 
this like blow your mind that it's all one shot. Often, often a lot of really long shots yeah, from older shot. film are actually quite subtle and you wouldn't even necessarily notice it's one mm-hmm. shot. If you look at the one shots in a movie like Jaws, like that stuff is, there, there's some really long shots in that movie, but they're not like blowing your mind. They're yeah, just that's, no, subtle. That's, that's fair. So, whereas but, in the, the last 20 years, we have this like crazy, like, oh my sure. God, they're going through the whole house. That, anyway, that's all that sort aside, of a complaint aside. It feel, it's not a complaint. I was I know, I'm it, going it, off on a tangent for no reason. It feels like but, that action sequence in season one was a thing that the creative team of the entirety of True Detective had been planning for and aiming towards for a season whereas this it feels like it's well, just a I big moment that has to exist on i didn't plot feel board. i didn't feel that way as an audience member i still feel like that there was no I point know. for that to exist plot wise but just as a piece of filmmaking it was not standard like just as a piece of filmmaking it right. was just engaging for the entire time it was on screen whereas this was could have just been like literally any action the only redeeming yep. qualities of it were the performances of the actors, which is important, um, but was not sufficient right. to, to justify the whole thing to me. Yep. And also just the sort of like, just infinite expendable, like Mexican drug guys, like the <laughs> lame. Yeah. I don't know. You can, you can see how maybe when coming up with the story that was intriguing of the, it's sort of a suspect who is involved, but whose face you've only ever seen in a police photograph and then you're surprised when you're suddenly in a shootout with him before there's any confrontation but it just ended up feeling like it was well, actually I think, a video game i think we all know and maybe i mean tell me if i'm wrong but i i think we can all be pretty certain that guy isn't the actual guy like we're only halfway through the season he pretty ran safe, away and left safe, a bird mask yeah, safe to assume that they didn't crack the case by this point which kind of makes it even more insulting that like so many people had to get killed in this scene for something that I assume will be basically a dead end. It just seems well, even, even if it's not, a de- if it is or isn't a dead end, everyone involved is killed and no new information was gleaned. Right. Which is, so it seems like this entire thing was just a setup for you guys are a bunch of fuck ups, which I feel like we've already established like 4,000 times. I mean, the end of this is now like the ultimate version of they have fucked up, but it, 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 yeah. it ends up having to, it ends up not being about the, the case at all. So, yeah, because right. Every single person's killed. What do you mean by every single person? Every you mean person all other humans than f- present. Yes. Yeah. Including yes. all suspects. Well, that, yes. All police officers. Yes. All tourists. All, all, all news weird, broadcasters. Like, public transit protesters yeah. Yeah. who just kind of hung around to get murdered additionally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, let's talk Not, about the other parts of this episode. Yes. We've probably we've probably. Uh, no, you're right. OK, so here's a here's a thing. We we always wait until the end to talk about Paul for some reason. Um, not on purpose. It's just how it's shaken out. The, this episode had a lot of Paul, um, pretty early in the episode. He wakes up in his apartment and his, like the, the guy from the motocross event who clearly served in his weird, like paramilitary unit or whatever that was. And with whom he clearly had some kind of relationship is there Mm -hmm. that, and, and Paul's sort of, it that all of that stuff with Paul basically felt like a dream sequence to me. I thought it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it actually was one when that happened and he was so disoriented by it. And then he's like, you know, he's, he's in a taxi on a way to, on his way to get his bike, which is then gone. And he's crying in the taxi and then his bike is gone and he's just completely destroyed. And, the and then he tries to check in yeah, to his hotel and there's people there and he just turns away. It felt like he was, he was so, 
adrift and so completely gone. And on top of that, just the unlike the just, you know, narrative shock of that guy being in his apartment. Right. Um, every, or his, the other guy's apartment. I don't know who, who's, I guess they were in the other guy's apartment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that definitely everything just... about that felt like it was actually heightened reality or something. And I, 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 I had to sort of decide like, okay, no, this is actually real plot events, not just, right. you know, a vision or something. Yeah. I, don't know, I thought it was interesting. I thought, I thought that stuff was good. That was actually a, a strong start to the whole thing. And it made me look forward to what was coming next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, it was funny to see, um, Ray and Paul together. We don't, we haven't gotten much of that. Have we? When, uh, when, when Ray picks up Paul, no, yeah, because it has, he's, there he's hasn't stranded. Been much. I mean, it feels like every episode they're sort of slowly, uh, like there's the character crossovers that each get long scenes. They've kind of been doling them out almost once an episode where you get a, mm-hmm. a scene with, the, with some new combination of the leads in yeah. a car driving around. Yeah. No e-cigarette line this week. No e-cigarette line this week. It's true. Um, I liked I liked the exchange though between Ray and Paul. I like the I like the sort of growing sense we're getting of Paul, especially you know it as someone who's really never been able to actually occupy a personality, not even a fucked up personality. He, mm-hmm. he seems like some like you know a lot of these characters are very extrinsically fucked. Up. Like they're everyone knows they're fuck ups, right? Um, whereas Paul is someone who's just he's all the things he's done in his life have been um, taking orders from other people, you know, the professions right. he's had and also just his like basic c- concept of identity, including his sexual identity is something that he doesn't let himself express. And so he's just devoid, you know, just to, externally just devoid of identity um, and sort of self-motivation in a way that I really think has been su- sort of surprisingly, at least for me, doled out most convincingly in that, in that character. Um, although I actually, it's funny that, that I'm so down on so much of this episode and, and we're so down on all parts of the season because I really like all these individual characters. Yep. It's, I just don't think they're being used as well as they could be except, except for Paul, maybe I, it just feels like they're, they're on a treadmill or something, you know, like they keep, they keep learning the same thing about Casper that he's like, that he was a weirdo. And then they keep kind of, I don't yeah, know. It's, it might, it might be a case of a bunch of really good characters and a really just bad mystery but i don't even know if that's the case because like the actual (laughs) structure of the railroad corridor and the mob and the cities and all that stuff like that's also interesting Mm -hmm. it's just not coming together yeah exactly no right i completely agree it this really just not to beat a dead horse here but it really 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 seems to me further evidence that the show is just suffering from the lack of a really strong vision holder, which is ironic because it's totally owned by the guy who wrote the whole thing, but it, it just doesn't seem like it, he knows how to. Yeah. It feels, it feels like I like, it makes me wonder if he is sitting there watching the reception of this and just going, I'm digestive doing the same thing I did last time. Right. Why is it so different? Like <laughs> yeah. that's like, and I, maybe that, I hope that answer is self-evident. Maybe that's not what's going on, but that's, that's kind of the feeling that I get is that I, I suspect that you, like, it makes me think that if you go back and read the original scripts delivered, maybe not the ones that they literally shot, but like the ones that were turned in mm-hmm. before they were sort of. You mean on season one? On season one. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I, I would be it makes me wonder curious. how my, how closely they would resemble the sorts of things we're seeing now. Yeah, like how much of it and how much of the script is just a blank slate that then unfortunately comes out blank when given to a bunch of directors who don't feel ownership over it. Mm-hmm. I would be very. I I suspect we will never see that. I suspect we will never be able to to do that examination. I don't think that stuff would ever be released in a way that would be from you know that would rep that would reflect yep. that original state yep it's hard to imagine that but but i am very curious as well um yep. uh, sp- uh oh man also i'm sorry i just put a capper on paul uh, his the <laughs> fact that like he that stuff is concluded with him spontaneously proposing to his pregnant girlfriend <laughs> oh, yeah oh my god just what a just an unbelievable disaster what a yep. just like Man, incomprehensibly like, enormous pile of shit he says i love you and then she just says like i guess i guess i do I too, guess I do too. <laughs> I like yeah yeah Oh, man. Good. Also, I, I don't know if this was intentional or not or if I misheard it, but she says, I don't want you to do this because you think this is the right thing or not. And he goes, I'm not. I don't. Which, like, is that supposed to be a weird double thing where he's intending it to mean, like, reassuring, but he's accidentally like, saying words that suggest, I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 like, he's coming to grips with it at that exact moment, kind of? Yeah, like, just sort of stumbling over his words in a way yeah. where he's getting the negative wrong, but, yeah, but it's actually he, being revealing. If, whether or not that is exactly what happened or not, I mean, that is basically how that entire scene played out, where his his yeah. mouth and his brain were clearly not uh, mm-hmm. remotely in agreement, and she also was kind of like, I don't, like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. no one was into that. Yeah. Um, what a yeah. disaster. Oh, what a disaster. And then to top it all off, he ended up in a shootout where everyone was killed. <laughs> <laughs> Detective. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about Annie? Yeah. Um, so she is having a bad time also. Yeah. Her life continues to be bad. Mm-hmm. Um, the big notable thing, I guess, was her being put on suspension because of the bullshit yeah, involving, involving uh, her harassment complaint basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, that, well, she had a lot of different things in this episode actually, because there was that there was then her talking to her sister, mm-hmm. you know, about, about their mom because weirdly she, her family is like increasingly relevant yep. to, to all the stuff that's going on right, right because now. her dad it turns out does actually just know every single character in true detective <laughs> right exactly and then um was it that her mom had the same psychologist as what was the what was that connection i don't actually remember yeah i, I but, but, couldn't track it exactly yes, but there were there are links between her mother and then the investigation i mean not, not direct links but indirect right. people who knew people uh links throughout this um if we weren't doing this podcast so late, I'm sure this would be fresher in my mind. Yep. Um, yeah. And then on top of that, she and Ray, I guess, drive out to the like edge of the map that the mayor, like Chisani, Mayor Chisani's map, find this like EPA guy who tells them that this land is all garbage. It's all basically contaminated. Man, I love that that. Okay. That scene made me incredibly happy just because it is exactly Chinatown. I know. In a way that I was, know. That was hilarious. I know. That's, I, I agree. And, and I, also made me mad because of how exactly it was Chinatown given the rest of what happened I in think this that's, episode. But I like, think that's okay. No. Because, I, the, because I, that is. I liked it as, as a moment, but then it made me frustrated that it is laying in the sort of pile of muck that is the rest of what's right. going on. Yes. I feel like this, this season really is just tr- trying to get too much in there. And they have 
the roots, they have the like fundamentals of a story of corruption and weird ritualistic killing that I really, really, really want to dig into. And they're just not digging into it enough. We just get little bits. Yeah, it's And strange. it's like, you've got this like great frame for your story, but like, could you paint it? in there a little bit more it's killing me yeah because i because i love that stuff in theory i love all of these like weird backroom deals and like water rights corruption and you know like crazy eye burned out eye bodies like i love all that stuff you know or if you don't go into it in extreme detail make sure that all the other parts feel like they're about something even if it's a thematic echo of what's going on like i mean not every crime show has to dive headfirst into the details, but man, I, know. This one, I don't, yeah, I know. Like including, I think previous season of true detective would did a lot less detecting than one would expect, but in this, like, but whatever. Yeah. Maybe there's maybe, so much more on the table mystery wise this season. Like it's just, you can't right, do it. They, they yeah. keep introducing a million things that are clues well, or leads or weird. Everything is sort of just yes. broiling together in this gross pot, but it's yes. then just, that's the, I mean, you're right that there wasn't a lot of early detecting in season one. It that was stuff really came into play a lot more in the second half of the season. But the, the, the first season was still a very continuous thread. Yep. Whereas now we just have so many different threads, which, which again, I'm actually completely fine yeah, with same. that. It's, it's just that I, I can't really figure out what this is about at this point. Like, Maybe I maybe in retrospect, I will know, and then I'll maybe. I'll rewatch the season someday, and it will be obvious. Oh, to brilliant. Me. We'll have to see. Um, okay, so Frank and Ray are back in that bar again. Um, that woman is back playing the song, wasn't she? She yep. was. Yes. Uh, we get a classic line, a classic like true detective marketer's dream line which is sometimes your worst self is your best self yeah but that wasn't a good line (laughs) i know it was unfortunately one of those things where you feel like someone wants it to be like a catchphrase or a defining thing in the sense of like how hbo is using the phrase you get we get the world we deserve or whatever whatever they're you're using but but it doesn't actually really mean anything yeah yeah i don't know oh man speaking of frank we got more vocabulary. Did you did you pick up not. on this? I had to replay this because it was so small. So he's when he's he's talking to his assistant. Uh, so Frank is like a side detective, also like he's investigating. You know, he's been for the whole season like investigating these crimes. In fact, now he's he's doing more investigation directly relevant to the dead bodies than. The detectives are. Right, although his motivation is more, where's my money? Well, I know it and is. And who but killed I'm my saying, partner, I guess. Hilarious. Uh. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm, what I'm saying is, like, they don't even, most of them, I don't even think, know about the second body yet, do they? No. Yeah, so. Only Frank knows. And. Uh, I guess he, Ray knows now, as well. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to his assistant in his club. Mm-hmm. And he goes, he, he tells him, the, the assistant's, like, not, you know, being as subservient, I suppose, as Frank wants. And he goes, you know the word louche? I'm under fire and you're louche. He's, it's weird. I don't know. He just like brings out this word. He asks him if he knows it and then immediately calls him it. I only Maybe. bring this, I only bring this up because of the, the little, the apoplectic, apoplectic yeah, so discussion that came up two episodes ago. Were these characters to be on a television show that existed for like 
five years and then they slowly devolved into caricatures of themselves, Frank would eventually just become the character who has a stupidly large vocabulary for no reason. <laughs> the writers would just like start really fetishizing, giving him st- what's his word going to be this right, episode. Right, like that right, that right, is right. how this yeah, show yeah, yeah. would evolve. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The I don't have that much more to say about this episode, I suppose. I did want to point out one thing, which is that when Ray goes to talk to his kid, which I like those scenes a lot because I I feel like Ray I feel like Colin Farrell and whoever plays his kid really sell how just totally doomed this relationship is between Ray's desperation to be a father and the kids kind of just like utter lack of ability to like comprehend anything that's going on it emotionally. I mean, mm-hmm. in these scenes, like he, he wants something and you can tell he like cares about his dad in the way that a kid does, but doesn't like, can't act on any of it or like come to grips with it at all. Right. It's like totally subconscious in a way. Uh, anyway, did you notice that um, Ray basically like Homer Simpson's into the hedge yes. as the kid like looks away and looks back and, and Ray's been like backing away from him and yeah. then you look back and he's just gone and there's just a bush there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to mention that because it cracked me up. Good. It was very strange. Yeah. Well, that was a, that was a, a splintered, ridiculous discussion of this episode yeah, as I, mirroring the kind of coherency of the plot in this season um yeah, it, it really it just i felt some real momentum last week with the season and sort I of with too. the characters and i like, really liked last episode I, I i felt like just the sort of interesting mirror that was being put up between the ways that Ray and Annie were being pushed around both professionally and personally was really interesting. And then this mm-hmm. week kind of just didn't deliver on any of that stuff. I felt like the mystery was starting to move forward last week. It didn't really this week. And man, last, even last week's ending action sequence painted a picture that was really promising to me of finding that car on fire, then running through that weird homeless encampment and ending oh, up totally out in agree. the middle of the yeah, yeah, web yeah. of freeways, great. Yeah. which has been sort of all the imagery of the show, like delivered so well. Then, and then just basically emptiness this week yeah. for an entire episode. It's just one thing actually on that note, um, this, this isn't, this doesn't really say all that much about the episode as a whole, but um, I like the uh, I like that we got a lot of establishing shots this episode that illustrated the investigation kind of pushing farther out, yeah, like to the coast and outside of the the cities. Um, there's some really nice photography. So apparently, part of the reason that this show has those establishing shots is because ordinances on private use of quadcopters was lifted <laughs> for like oh, that's funny commercial use of those. So you're able to without having to get heavy permits like you would with a helicopter. Uh, or what? Or without having to pay the right. cost of that, you can just right. fly a quadcopter over Los Angeles with like a nice SLR camera on it and get those shots. I mean, it works really well. They look great. Yeah, they're well They're stabilized like the best part of the everything. show. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, do you want to do some? I do very much. Mail? Okay. So John Remedios writes, "Hey, thumbs." After this episode, I noticed a new connection between the four main characters, fatherhood. Between Frank's monologue in episode two, Ray's relationships with his father and son, the, the very connected guru, who's also Annie's dad, 
Paul's car conversation with Ray this episode and the news that Paul's going, going to become a father, it seems clear that this season is trying to say something about fatherhood, although I'm not really sure what it is. My best guess so far is something like, our fathers make us who we are, and honestly, I'm not really sure how I feel about that. The season seems to have some more nuanced representations of masculinity, although Frank's aggressive return to crime has made that less true in my opinion. And I'd hate for the takeaway from this season to simply be, your dad done messed you up. Um, I'd love to know if you also noticed this and if you have any thoughts on the matter. I'm enjoying the podcast. Thanks for making it. Take care, John. Dijon John from the forums. Thoughts? I don't know if I have a ton to respond to that, but I mean, definitely dads are a huge recurring thing in this in this season of this show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope that it is not just my dad screwed me up right? because there's a lot of dads screwed people up. It's true. Yeah, I, I feel similarly to that as I do to a lot of the kind of themes and common elements of this season, which is that they are there and I am noticing these like collections of themes, but it's it's still very unclear to me what the takeaway from it is. Yeah, everything is just very part inert. Of, part of my expectation is, and maybe I'm just, maybe I just have rose colored glasses here, uh, but I, I kind of expect just based on how season, the sort of structure season one changed i'm hoping that all of this setup and kind of slight wheel spinning in a lot of cases is just serving to set up a like just big cork board of mystery that in the second half we're we're about to get to a very similar place in many detective stories true or otherwise which is Everyone screwed up so bad in pursuit of the investigation that they're all respectively off the case or put on. Right. Yes, I'm very much expecting. So that. then someone's going to open a garage door and they stole all the files, <laughs> and like that's coming up. Yeah, like, yeah, that. right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So we'll see how that goes. Um, let's see here. What else do we have? Oh, uh, Donnie Cousins writes, "Hey guys, I wanted to touch briefly on a couple of things. You can take or leave as you will. Um, I'm going to just pick." a couple of these instead of reading all of them, things that we haven't talked about as much. Uh, Annie's porn habits. I don't think you've mentioned this brief scene at all so far, uh, which is understandable because it was one of the stranger in episodes, stranger ones in episode two. I'm referring to the scene in Annie's apartment where she sits down at night and starts browsing porn sites and is interrupted by her old partner at her PD. At first I thought she was browsing through these sites looking for her sister, or that it was somehow connected to the case, but the framing and everything else about it suggested that watching porn was another one of the detective detectives, bad habits. It felt fairly superfluous to me in an episode with so many other moving pieces of character development, and that it hasn't been touched on again this episode further cements that for me. Um, I actually liked that. I, I liked the yeah, I didn't peak qu- we got into her yeah. tastes, I and suppose. The way, that, the way that was presented, I thought, was really good, where it was just, is she looking into something for the case? Is it right. for her sister? Yes. Yeah, me too. Is she, like looking through porn actually to titillate herself in some way or is it actually just like a weird kind of depressing idle habit that she just mm-hmm. kind of leafs through pornography mm-hmm. websites when like just that's the kind that, when her brain is just doing nothing you yes know? yes and 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 definitely when you think back to her introduction in season i'm sorry in episode one where she sort of inadvertently sexually freaks out that guy who i right. guess is the same guy who, right he's the guy who filed the complaint yeah i'm sure um, or he's he's the guy who wasn't it that he, she dumped him, but then the complaint did the complaint come from him, but then was backed up by her by I her think, partner because uh, yeah, I think involved. her former partner didn't file a complaint. He just responded to questions that 
were oh, right. put to him in the investigation of the complaint right. itself. In a way that was very much not supportive of Annie. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the, the thing I like about, I, I like about, I like this and I like how it, it's, it's, it remind it's reminiscent to me of how early details of Paul's life, you know, sort of current interior life and his past were very slowly doled out in the first few episodes. And now we have a pretty solid, I think, understanding of who Paul is. But I liked how sparingly that stuff was introduced. And I similarly like how we got that just little glimpse yep. at Annie. And and I'm sure there will be some amount of follow-up on that. But I but I like how restrained that little that little yeah, piece was. Annie's, Annie's character in this season, I mean, I, I feel like we probably haven't talked about her stuff in the different episodes as much as what has been there. Because I think that her, like... She's just one of the most interesting parts of this. Oh, I season totally agree. For me. Yeah, definitely. Both sort of just as a character and as the sort of meta level of like, we came into the season with a bunch of like the season one of true detective had a bunch of loud complaints and a lot of like think pieces and whatever the hell else about how it was just a bunch of dudes. So her presence in this show, just as a female lead written by the same person, potentially as who knows how much it was a response to the criticism right. of the first season yeah, or not. It's very and sort difficult of to know. Yeah. What, like, on that level, it's interesting, but then also just I think she's an interesting character. I know, I completely agree, and I think she's she's played really well also. Yeah. Um, all right, so his other his other point that he... he who, who is this again who wrote in? That Donnie Cousins writes in is, um, who killed Ben Casper? Just a quick aside, it's interesting that especially since... Uh, Chris and Jake's podcast on the subject ended. No one has mentioned the central conceit of the show, Who Killed Ben Casper, being so close in execution to that of Twin Peaks, Who Killed Laura Palmer. Even down to the structure of the first episode, albeit not as well executed, putting characters and plots in motion, then dropping the catalyst of an unexpected death that stirs the larger plot in motion. Even the looming presence of Casper throughout the season, their unfinished deeds in life, affecting our characters in ways subtle and monumental, just as Laura did to everyone in Twin Peaks. Nothing solid there, just an observation and something to keep in mind for the remainder of the season to watch out for any other parallels. Thanks for the podcast, guys. It's as much a highlight of my week as watching the actual show, Donnie. I thought that was a that was a pretty pretty good observation in the sense that the the actual death of Casper himself is kind of less of a focal point than it is an instigating event that then yep. suffuses and also the hole that Casper leaves in the world is right. Is, and what is trying to fill that in or what yeah. that what that absence means in people's lives is, is more important than like the methodology the of the killer or right. something, yeah. which, you know, mm-hmm. yep. um, a thing that actually talking about Annie a couple minutes ago or like a second ago reminded me there's a moment in this episode where she when she's getting uh, I was going to say fired when she's getting uh, suspended suspended and she says basically this is only happening because I'm a woman. And then the chief says like. What is the response to that? It's basically, no, this is happening to anyone, but since you're a woman, you get to say that or something like that. And I wondered how much of that was us, like how much of that was the voice of the writers as opposed to the voice of the characters. And like, what is there any, was there any larger argument or point being made at all about her existence in this show as a woman or like the, or the, or the, the plight of a woman versus not. And then just, pooping on it versus just that character's kind of a butt and that's his worldview yeah i i hope that doesn't reflect that seems like shitty if that i know it's just like i i wonder about those things because like we had there was a scene earlier on when annie like 
the way that the way that Ray gets pressured by people by mm-hmm. his superiors is pretty classic, just like cheesy corrupt police force or like mob movie stuff, or just a combination of well dressed and seedy people lean on him because they have dirt on him. Whereas with Annie, it's things like maybe you should uh, insinuate that you want to fuck Ray. Like just the, you know, right, right, like yeah, yeah, yeah. All the tools that are ever yeah. used for her and all the things that are thrown against her as a character are very gendered, but it's also, I always can't tell how much of it is it, like how much of it is considered by the writer as opposed to how much of it is just sort of like, that is obvious. Like, I don't know. It's Yeah. I'm good. I'm going to just make the decision to give the writer the benefit of the doubt on this. Not because I have any supporting evidence either way. Yeah. I'm also not trying just, to just condemn because, Nick Pizzolatto, yeah. but it's just like, it always just has a twinge of discomfort that I hope is deliberate because right, it definitely sure. fucking causes discomfort yeah, whenever any yeah, of these yeah, things yeah. happen. Mm-hmm. That's true. Uh, let's see here. Um, Carrie Copeland, I'm sorry, Corey Copeland writes, Hey, Detective Thumbs, I wanted to write in about an element of the first few episodes of season two that have impressed me. I'm a PhD student studying environmental geography, and I often pay attention to how the environment is represented in media. In my opinion, True Detective season two has done an unusually magnificent job of this. When most people think about the environment, they think about wilderness, but there are very important natural systems throughout our urban environments. Environmental justice movements have helped highlight how the quality of hazards associated with urban environments relate to class and especially race. In True Detective, they accurately portray this aspect of urban Los Angeles where people of color tend to bear the brunt of our urban excesses. In the show, they specifically represent this environmental racism connected to the political and economic structures of the city. For example, one piece of evidence showing Vinci's corruption is their willingness to pollute areas where migrant workers live. They later show Velcoro trying to tell some Latino children that it's dangerous to play in the water of a canal. They even get small details right, such as putting the encampment slash slum near a highway, which is an enormous source of non-point air pollution that can cause asthma or lung disease. I know this isn't a major theme of the show, but for those of us interested in these issues, it's it's refreshing to see them represented so well on a TV show. I hope the show continues to impress me with its considered environmental representation. Corey. I thought that was just a really interesting perspective. Yeah, that that is. That's really cool. (laughs) I do not have the background to be able to speak about. But thanks for writing in, Corey. Cool. Um, That's probably good for this week. Um, Thanks, as always, to people who write in. The emails are so good. We get such great stuff. If you have something a thought or a question or anything that you think would be worth sharing with us. You can write us at questions at truedetectiveweekly.com. Yep. And we will read all of them and then talk about some of them on the air. Yes. Apologies if we don't get to your question, but please don't let that stop you from sending them in. And thanks for listening. If you do enjoy this show, please consider rating us on iTunes. It helps out a lot. Uh, And tell a friend if they're also watching this show and you think they would like some additional commentary to uh, check out each week. Thanks. Yeah. We'll be back next week, hopefully on time. Apologies about and that. And hopefully with a slightly less baffled response yeah. <laughs> to this. I know. I, this I was like a very we fractured episode. All over the yeah, place we really were. This week, so. Sorry about that. Yeah. I think we just didn't really know how to respond. Um, frazzled and always. Next week, though, we will have over a majority of episodes in the bag, so hopefully we'll be able to do, know what it is that we're talking about and dealing with. True. I hope that they've got all those files in like a moldy box in the garage and they really <laughs> yeah. get an unpacking mm-hmm. and studying montage. We're yep. just going to go Just crazy. really get into that true detection. Yeah. All right. See you guys next week. Bye, Chris.